Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This podcast is sponsored today by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years and he's my kid's dentist too. He's an expert on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. Earlier in 2021, my son Owen finished up a stint on these aligners. He's thrilled with the result. His parents love the result. We're lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise around here in Amarillo. So to learn more, visit shemendental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. And as part of this podcast's partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo National Bank which has been locally owned since 1892, and to Grammarland and Exploration Corporation. You can find them online at Grammarland.com. Today's guest is Richard Walton. Richard is a risk advisor and partner at NCW, a local independent risk management company that celebrates its 95th year this month, uh, which is pretty incredible. It started back in 1926, and it's still operating today. The W in NCW stands for Walton, and Richard and I talk in this episode about the challenges of working in a multi-generational family business, and the challenges, to be frank, of, of the health insurance world in general. But this isn't just a conversation about business or insurance. Richard is one of those guys who just has lots of stories to tell and plenty of layers to dig up, and he and his family chose to live in Amarillo very intentionally. So here's Richard Walton. Richard Walton, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. We've known each other for a long time, um, and I've wanted to have you as a guest for a while, so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we were able to get it worked out. I want to start with you uh, the same way I start with every guest and just ask, why are you here? How did you end up in the Amarillo area? So I had no say in that. I was born in Amarillo lived here really for the most majority of my life. I did a stint at West Texas A&M, which I actually did move to Canyon and live in the dorms and then graduated, went to uh, Dallas Metroplex area and sowed my wild oats with my friends in Dallas with an underpaid job and just had a total blast. And I, I ended up back here in 2008, downturn in the economy. I was working as a general liability claims adjuster it's a very specific job, but mm-hmm. so on insurance policies, there's a liability coverage, which is basically like something bad happens, who's at fault? And am I responsible? Okay, the insurance policy will respond and we'll we'll make it right with whoever's been injured or their car was damaged. Crazy, crazy, really awesome first job. Uh, but we had layoffs in that process, and then I just kind of did some internal just turned to myself and like, do I really want to be doing this, being at the liberty and the whims of the economy? Mm-hmm. So I, I moved back home and um, my father was a partner at an insurance agency and I came back and worked at the insurance agency after you know, six or seven years in Dallas. Okay. We'll get to that part in a little bit. I, I want to hear about a lot of people who, who want to sow those wild oats. They leave for college. They'll go to college somewhere else. Yeah. And then get stuck, you know, wherever they went or mm-hmm. another part of Texas or someplace else. You stuck around here for college. I did. And then you left. Correct. Um, tell me tell me about that decision. So all, all my friends all went to Texas Tech. And I was super close to going to Texas Tech. 
I, I had a fateful thought of just like, I'm just going to hang out with all my friends from high school if I go to Texas Tech. And I was very intentional about and not super popular with my friends to saying I'm going to WT, which I think a lot of people think that that's like giving up on bigger aspirations. And that could not be anything close to being true. And I knew super early on when I was there that that was the place I needed to be. And it felt like it was a little bit countercultural because all your friends were going to tech yeah, and you yeah, were choosing yeah. something different. For sure. Did you want to get into insurance? I mean, the, the family business, was was that something that you rebelled against or were accepting of? Uh, no, I did not. I did not want to get into the insurance business. I was a, a finance major in college, but I did four years of glass blowing. I love the arts. I love okay. practicing arts. I did, audited those classes till they told me I couldn't do it anymore. But but when then you graduate and then kind of real life hits you and it's like, well, I guess I got to get a job. And, and, and I hope I teach my kids this too. Like life happens through connections. And if, if my dad can help me get a job at some insurance carrier that I couldn't have gotten on my own, like you absolutely take that. Yeah. And that's just how I landed on my first job was a connection from my dad's connection to the insurance industry. There's never any guarantee when, when you're trading on those connections, when you are, you know, doing something that, that maybe your dad did, there's, there's, there's no guarantee that it's going to have the same fulfillment for you yeah, or that you're absolutely. going to like it or that you're yeah. going to mesh with it. Was, was that something that you anticipated going in? Like, were you thinking, all right, this is something I can do versus this is something I really want to do? Is I'm, I'm young at this point, 25 maybe. And I'm just pumped to have a job that they actually pay me decent money. Like mm-hmm. I'm just pumped. And and I think I have a personality where I'm going to make it my own and do it my own way and blaze my own path. So appreciating how I got there, but I'm still going to make it my own. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about the decision to come back here from Dallas. I mean, obviously there was an economic factor with it, uh, with the downturn and, and coming into something that maybe was a little bit more stable. But like, that's a big shift. If your very first job, your very first time, like as an adult, you're in a yeah. big city like Dallas and you come back home to where your family is, where you grew up. This is funny. My friends actually held an intervention for me. Okay. They're like, well, what are you doing? You're single. You're never going to meet anyone in Amarillo, Texas. You're not. We grew up there. You're never going to meet someone there. And I just told them, guys, I got to do this. I've had enough here. I'm ready to move to the next phase of my life. Never had a problem meeting people. I'm sure there's plenty of great people in Amarillo. And I, I moved. But it was a sit down at the bar. They were all there making their case. It was funny. Did they have a sign, like posters <laughs> that they had hung up above the bar or something? Save Richard. Yeah. Did, yeah. T- tell me then what happened once you got back here. So I moved back and I was... Um, I started working at the insurance agency and I met my wife like really, really early on at just, we met at church as I think that's what you do in Amarillo is yeah. meet people yeah. at church. But we, um, we met at church and we, we were married a year, year and a half later. And that, that pretty much secured me like long-term to Amarillo. Dana, my wife's name's Dana. She's, she was an architect and already had her jobs. And so that, that was enough of a tie to that. Yeah. And, but then you, get to living like actual life, like obviously at a different point in my life, but then you start working and so you're working most of the day and then you come home and you're beat. And like the area that you actually spend time in and have your friendships in, it's a pretty small area. Mm-hmm. 
compared to the whole big city. And you can't go to concerts every night. You just can't. Even if they're there, you can't do right. it. So coming to Amarillo and you compare like the little bubble I had in Dallas to the little bubble I had in Amarillo, it's like, you know what? Amarillo's like, this is way nicer. And I, I just came to appreciate it. And while I've seen friends come and go, like everyone that understands Amarillo, it's not like giving up on bigger dreams by not moving off. You, you live here and you make it your own. A lot of people talk about... Amarillo as a place to raise a family. And I, I wonder if that was part of your discussion with Dana, and, you know, as you guys got married and you started thinking about having kids and stuff. I and mean, was it ever an option to leave and go someplace else? Or did you guys, once you got kind of planted here and met and thought, this is where we're going to stick around? I think, I think moving away requires a little bit of inertia. Like there's just like an inertia that held us in because her family's here and my mm-hmm. family's here. My grandmother's here. Plus, we liked it. Like we never, we've never even thought a second for about leaving. Talk to me about your job, about your work, because I, I don't know the insurance world a lot. I, I do know the challenges of generations working in a same mm-hmm. environment. You know, the the W of NCW is your family name, and so you know, what's it like coming in as like a second generation to a workplace to a business? You know that that was so central to your family. Yeah. I think to, to make that work, you have to be very intentional about a couple of things. And I I credit my father for this. When I came back, we intentionally officed on totally different sides of the office. I didn't report to him. I was held to the the same standard that they would hold to any new hire in a sales position. So there's a, no freebies, right? Mm-hmm. Like to make that work, there's no freebies. You've got to earn your own way and fight for what you've got and deal with the defeats and celebrate the successes. But that's all got to be on your own where nothing can be given. And I think it's important for just me personally to know that I can do it and to hone my own craft, but also for the employees and the people that I work with, they need to understand and be able to count on me that I can do it myself and not yeah. require other people or help from outside sources. Did you have a conversation with your dad about that? I did. Going in, like, yeah. what's this going to be like? How are we going to deal with each other? I mean, is, yeah. is that... There's, there's got to be a separation and home stuff is home stuff. And we can talk about that at work, but it's got to be not in front of people. It's got to be very just separate. Because, you know, we're not a huge... We, we have grown significantly, but... When I came back, we had around 30 employees and everyone's family. Like, mm-hmm. And it's so easy to just get everything jumbled together. And there had to be a pretty clear separation between family and work. I want to provide a little bit of education, I guess, for listeners. Um, in knowing that NCW provides insurance, most people, when they think about an insurance or insurance broker or insurance at all, they think of like their, their state farm guy, their mm-hmm. all state guy, the farmer's agent. Tell me what you do that's different from what they do. What's what's different from the typical state farm or farmer's agent that, that somebody might deal with? Yeah, so insurance can be divided into several. There's a large range of insurance coverages. And on personal lines is what we'll call it. That's your, your, your home and your auto. We're an independent agent, so we represent you amongst the marketplace with several, several other carriers not just one exclusive carrier. Okay. There's definitely a function, and those are great insurance markets, but a lot of times as complexity increases, 
those are either competitive or not competitive, where as an independent agent, we do have the option. And we do every time a renewal comes up to go, we know the market, we know, oh, this company B is super successful and they love, you know, new, new construction. That's, that's the perfect market for that. And that takes someone like our agency to navigate the complexities of that. Moving on to commercial insurance coverages, that's totally different ballgame too. Right. Yeah. And you want some specialization, I guess, with for that, sure. for whether it's a, a banker, a farmer, a yeah. construction and, company. And insurance carriers have different appetites for different types of risks. So they just, like, this is an oil and gas market, and they're not going to write through embroidery shop because we don't do that. We mm-hmm. do oil and gas. Tell me what you like about the career. I mean, what is it about insurance? I mean, obviously, you are you were a finance major, so you had some interest in, in numbers. And yeah. What about the job as it's become now for you is, is something that kind of keeps you in it. So I, I specifically do group health insurance and healthcare. And what what keeps me motivated is seeing the disarray that our healthcare system is in. <laughs> it's I, I talk to my clients a lot about being functionally uninsured to where you're you as a business are providing these benefits for your employees, but it's too expensive. Like the deductible's too high. Most people don't have a thousand dollars of savings at any point in time, and you have a $7,000 deductible and out of right. max. So even with insurance, even with those insurance, families are going to be in a yeah. hole. And, yeah. and the number one cause of bankruptcies is medical bills. And that's even with people having insurance. So I see it as a crisis and I, I provide solutions. And, and w- that's what motivates me is these people are working hard. They're hardworking people, especially in our Texas panhandle hardworking people, a common thread, and you want to provide benefits to employees that they can actually use. I mean, without getting too into the weeds of stuff, because I don't, you know, this is not an insurance podcast, but yeah. I mean, what what do those solutions look like? Because so many people and businesses are frustrated with their insurance. Like they yeah. are paying for it, but it's paying for it begrudgingly because they don't think it's very good or it's got a high deductible yeah. or it's impossible to work with them. And so... You know, you, you talk about providing solutions, and I think a lot of people just might be like, oh, there are no good solutions. It's a terrible thing anyway. And I, I wonder yeah. how you approach that. There, there's definitely solutions that exist right now, and it's evolving at a hyper pace. Mm-hmm. It really is. And, I, and I'm, su- I'm excited to be part of delivering those solutions. W- one easy solution, and I personally, for my family, we use a medical cost-sharing plan instead of insurance. So when I started 12 years ago, I would have never, ever, ever thought that a medical cost sharing plan would be a solution for healthcare for me personally and not an insurance plan. As employers grow and you get into self-funded stuff, a, a lot of my groups use captive stop loss and that it's that's a whole separate thing, but that's absolutely a solution. So there, there's solutions that exist already. You need advice to to make it, to put it together. And, and that's my job. And sometimes they feel like alternative kinds of solutions like like maybe you're not following the rules i mean because yeah i mean a, a medical cost sharing plan is not technically insurance That's it's correct. allowed under regulations and 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 the federal bylaws and stuff but like there's something about it that feels like we're almost doing something all you know countercultural yeah and please maybe that's what we need yeah, right? i, I mean say. To, to shake this up because i i think that common themes of our economy going forward and and this is just me speaking like I, I have no authority to say this really but 
I've noticed that I think the next iteration of our economy, the common themes are going to be cutting out the middleman. Hmm. I think even just like the sharing economy, I think that's a common theme of like getting out the middleman. I think decentralized finance and cryptocurrencies where you can have a, a currency that's also a contract, so I don't need a legal department to do enforce this contract. I'm intrigued by that, and I think there's going to be some big implications of that going forward in all industries. Tell me about having a maybe NCW is a, a medium sized business at this point, uh, based in Amarillo, but you've got clients all over the place. I mean, mm-hmm. tell me what it's like as a business operating here in this environment. Um, how is Amarillo as a home base for business? It's awesome. Amarillo, for as our home base is, we if we could pick any place in the country, this is where we would be. Hmm. There's diversity in the economy that you just can't beat it. There's we have oil and gas and farm and ranch and pan taxes here, and an appreciation that that economy was not built overnight. It was built by businessmen from the begin the founding of Amarillo to get to the point where we are here, and I think it required pioneer spirits, people willing to. to take the land rush and come out and make a risk personally, um, sometimes the cost of their life to get here mm-hmm. and grow something. And it's grown and grown for hundreds of years. And look where we are now. It's it's amazing. And you deal with a lot of different types of businesses in your work. I mean, I, I guess you get to see all kinds of of those arms of the local economy. You know, whether it's yeah, a startup, absolutely. an entrepreneur who's just getting started and needs to ensure his or her employees to like these large ongoing businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. you're dealing with them at every stage. You bet. What does that tell you about this area, you know, knowing that past and and knowing the growth that we've seen lately and, and the stuff that you're involved with? I mean, where do you, where do you see it going? I think we're going to see continued slow and steady growth, medium to slow and steady growth. So it's not going to be a huge housing boom like you see in other other parts of the country, which is accompanied by a crash down, it's going to be right. slow and steady based off of hard work of business owners to their employees, to everyone just puts in the hard work and we're going to do it slow and steady the right way. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned intentionality uh, a couple of times in this conversation already. I heard that as a family, that, that you and your family sort of had like a, a mission statement. Mm-hmm. If we're going to live here, like this is how we're going to live. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. Let me preface this. There was a Dr. Tony Dale. He's a CEO of Sidera, this medical cost sharing community that I, that I work and work with. And he told me one time that imagine your life five years from now, mm-hmm. the only thing that's going to be any different and that's going to cause it to change are the people you meet and the books that you read. Okay. So, I read a book. I better read a book one time about the secrets to happy families. And I don't think there's anything special about this book. And I'm sure other people have thought of this too, but we have a mission statement for our family to, instead of yelling at my kids, don't do this, don't do that. We're going to flip that on its head. And I'm going to give them some direction on here's, here's how we operate as a family. How old are your kids? My kids, they're about to have birthdays. They're going to be nine and six. How do they respond to that? Uh, they do not. If they were employees, they would not always be the best employees. <laughs> we have some. We have to work through some stuff. But I know my son for sure responds to it. He, he's an old soul. He gets it. You don't really see it until you least expect it. And it's when you get a truly heartfelt sorry from your kid. That'll mm-hmm. just... That makes you feel so good that something's going right when 
something bad happens and he comes up on his own volition and says, I'm sorry, dad. I mean, obviously that changes the way you parent. Um, if, if you're thinking though, in terms of maybe your life, that, that the biggest changes are going to come from the people you meet, the books you read. Is, is that something you take into account, you know, just as somebody in business, as, you know, somebody living in this community that you're always thinking about, what are the networks I'm going to make? Who are the people I'm going to meet? Who are the people that might have some sort of influence over me? Yeah, I want to give that some context, though, because especially in insurance sales or any sales job, people think that when you're connecting with someone, it's like, well, he's just trying to... He's trying to make a sale. He's trying to make a sale. Yeah. And it's like, no, I got to this for my personal development. Like, that's how business happens is I build a relationship with you and you trust me and I can maybe convince you that there's a better way to do something, but maybe not. And And if it doesn't work, then I still have a friend and I've still can be challenged by whoever I've met personally. You know, the idea of having a business that is, is sort of a family business, I mean, obviously there are other partners involved. Um, does, does that have an impact on how you run the business from day to day? I mean, because it changes, it grows, it expands to new places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are opportunities, I'm sure, to get bought out by somebody or sell to somebody. I mean, does, having, having that tie, does that impact kind of how you think about the business itself now that you're in a a partnership position? Yeah, I'm definitely dealing with stuff that I, that I was not expecting to deal with uh, before. It's just, it's a position of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're driving through the parking lot and, and seeing your employees and you're providing for their livelihood, you know, I, I take that seriously and, and I genuinely, genuinely care about my employees and Providing them a better work experience is is pretty high on our list. And, you know, I think investing in your own employees is the best thing that we could possibly do for our business. You've lived in Amarillo now, you know, obviously when you were a kid and then you moved back as an adult. And so you've been here, you know, during that one phase. And now you've been here as a father and a dad and, and somebody in business. And I, I wonder if you could talk about how you've seen Amarillo change, you know, over the the last few decades. I mean, thinking of it when you were a kid and then coming back, having moved away, does it feel like it's it's made some some strides forward? No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's way more polished, I would say. Well, you know, we, we just have new things. And I think part of what makes the city great is continually, not just new construction, but like new things, new ideas. We have a baseball team when we didn't have one before. Again, no one single person pulls that off. It's the whole city coming together to pull off the truly great stuff. And I just I just really appreciate that. And I, I, maybe it's just a sense of pride knowing that something that you're associated to with, it's growing. It's like a popularity contest, maybe. It's like, oh, other people think this is great too. And I think that, that just gives you a little pride, some pride for your city. Like there's a there's an element of validation, I guess, yeah. to it when when people see that same growth. Yeah, absolutely. What are you looking for? I, I I know that because you are, I mean, maybe since since you're working primarily primarily in health insurance, you're not so much focused on the risk management side of things. But like when you when you think about the future and you think about how Amarillo is growing and where we might be in five years or ten years, like is is there part of that risk management side that makes you think about certain things or here's some things we need to avoid or here's some things that I hope don't happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, maybe counterintuitive, but I think 
maybe increasing our local tax rate might not be a bad thing mm-hmm. is just to having money for the future and um, ours is still very it's super very low. low it's very very low i mean for all the complaining people do it's one of the lowest tax rates in the state yeah and and a lot of the things that i that i feel our city needs to do to remain great is you got to reinvest in your city and that and a lot of the reinvestment cannot be done privately right there's just no way i'm always struck by how many problems we seem to be facing now because of a lack of foresight mm-hmm. 20 years ago or 30 mm-hmm. years ago that maybe you had a a city government or a city council that decided not to act on something where they could have act could have acted and then now we're we're kind of reaping the consequences and so that ability to look into the future and make decisions now that might not pay off for 30 years um, it seems to me like that's a that's kind of a way to manage risk is yeah. to not procrastinate on things that need to be done absolutely so in in risk management we we talk about predictable losses like what do we know is going to happen and then Maybe you don't buy insurance for what you know is going to happen. And I think on health insurance side, but also on just I'm running a business and I have a fleet of autos, like I know something's going to happen mm-hmm. and or I know something's never going to happen, then I don't need to buy insurance for something that I, I know my business better than anybody. It's not going to happen. So I, don't, I can handle that risk internally. I can self-insure that risk. But the big stuff that you just don't see happening or a remote chance of it happening, that's what you need to buy insurance for. And if you equate that to what our city needs to do, I mean, money helps like a robust budget that covers a lot of problems that solves a lot of problems. But I think too, like looking way, way into the future, 50 years from now, Mm -hmm. what is our city going to need? Infrastructure, we need water. Those are the things that we need to be focusing on. One of the last things I I wanted to ask you, because I know, you know, a lot of people you want to hear about jobs and stuff like that, but I, I know you really identify as as a parent, as a dad, and, and that that gets a lot of your attention. And having moved back here very intentionally, talking about parenting intentionally and staying here intentionally, um, you know, so many people talk about Amarillo being a good place to raise a family. And I wonder if that's something you've thought about. You know, it's it's not just a cliche, but like, is is there a way that living here has been really essential to kind of how your family is developed. You can raise, you can raise a family anywhere. Sure. Right. Everybody it starts, does. It starts within the four walls of your homes. And I think that's the most important thing is the relationship that you have with your wife, the relationship that y'all have as parents. However, Amarillo does provide some very unique and maybe just kind of greases the wheels a little bit on making that easier because there's so many people that are in the same boat as you raising families with largely the same values. I think that's the key is we all have a lot of the same values as a community, which makes raising kids, teaching kids, educating kids so much easier. Does that mean you feel maybe a little less isolated than you might in a maybe a larger community, you know, maybe if you were still in Dallas or if you were in Austin or someplace. I mean, is, is there something that is different enough about living here and raising a family versus living in a, an Austin suburb or, you know, one of the the Metroplex area suburbs? And you may not know because yeah, you, mean, you haven't done that. I mean, I, but, yeah, I, I do know that I would not want to raise my kids in Dallas. 
and and a lot of that is, you know, if I'm driving to work and it takes 30, 45 minutes, assuming there's no accidents, and then you come home and you're just stressed and all of that seeps into your family life hmm. and kids, kids can pick up on that, whether they say something or not, like there's no secrets with your kids. Hey, Amarillo is sponsored this week by Wick Realty. Wick helped me buy and sell a home twice now. And, and that home is where I record most of these podcasts. It's where I do all the writing and planning for Brick and Elm, uh, my print magazine. In a city filled with realtors and real estate companies, Wick truly is one of the best. They're interested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. Okay, I'm back with Richard Walton. Richard, this is a part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes spurs from at least eight decades of cowboying, uh, which were super interesting to me as a kid because I was fascinated with spurs and wore cowboy boots all the time. Did not transition to my adult life. <laughs> you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, uh, the first question, and you mentioned this a minute ago about about having to deal with COVID, uh, but, but what's one thing the pandemic or the last 18 months or so has revealed to you about local people? One of the books I've read is Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Really love that book. One of the rules that he has is assume that the person you're listening to has knows something that you don't. Hmm. And, and I think the coronavirus and just all the events of 2020 has really gotten people unfortunately entrenched and they don't even listen. Like there's not civil conversation about anything anymore. It's really hard and fleeting to find those moments where people will just be honest and say, you know what? I really don't know. I, I don't know how this works. It, people are just, just so politicized and entrenched that you can't even, it's really hard to get past that. It's really easy to completely write somebody off across the board because their opinion on one thing is different, one whether thing. like masks or yeah. whatever that might be. It, it almost gives us permission now to discount everything that they say because yeah. they're not in the right place. And just like you said, like I don't believe anything they say because they that person's wearing a mask. And it's it's too complicated. All of this is immensely way too complicated. And I think there needs to be an appreciation for differing views, differing science views, like because we're all kind of flying on the seat of our pants by this. Mm -hmm. What does this area have too much of? Ex-girlfriends. <laughs> that, that sounds uh, like a specific and not quite universal no. problem. Um, that's just a joke, too. My wife is, would be, she would not appreciate that. The city is filled with, yeah. with former girlfriends of yours? I'm sure. Not of mine. Oh, everyone okay. has, oh, has ex-girlfriends here. I asked my friend Jason Burr how I should answer this. And he said, don't say wind. Please don't say wind. Thank you, Jason Burr. <laughs> yeah. And don't say churches either. Um, I do think we might have too many churches. I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah. There's something to be said for consolidation of churches. Well, you know, and, when you have a dying church with 192 yeah. people, you know, who've gone to it for all 30 or 40 years of their life, and then there's a giant mega church with many thousand, like you, you figure yeah. that there's a way to not. Yeah. 
eat one up at the expense of the other. Mm -hmm. I agree. What does this area not have enough of? I don't think we have enough bike lanes Mm -hmm. and unique parks. Okay. I I think what makes cities great are, are parks and I don't think that can that should be off limits to the city of Amarillo. And I, you I mean, know, like the authority over a park or putting in a park, well, or? And, and just the commitment to putting in great parks and like truly unique and great parks, not just here's a dusty spot of land with a playground on it. Right. Yeah. So tell me about the unique angle of that. What What in your mind constitutes a unique park? We Dana and I were traveling downstate, and we saw I don't even remember the town. It's some small town, but they had barbecue pits like. Brick smoking pits, hmm. just one after the other, where people would just go up there on Saturdays and smoke their briskets and drink beer. And that's super unique, and that's not hard to pull off. Just the truly great cities. There's Central Park in New York, but I don't know. I've, I've got some interesting ideas on on that, and I'm wondering, Mayor Nelson, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I think it'd be an interesting study if you broke down the city's park budget to park like neighborhood park by neighborhood park. Mm-hmm. And then let that be a springboard for private citizens to throw in money to, right? Because it's like, oh, I'll put in money if it's going to go exclusively to my park. Sure. And if everyone does that, that could be an easy way to inject the money that we need because great parks, it takes money. Yeah. And obviously that's you know one of those things that maybe the lack of foresight of a city government generations ago, yeah. at least decades ago, yeah. uh, has left us in a difficult position right now. And so hard decisions are, are being made about the parks. So it's on everyone's mind. Yeah, Solutions, though, are complicated. They are complicated. I do like the idea of you see parks, and, and, and these have been in place forever. You know, every every local park has a concrete picnic table and, you know, a, a grill next to it. Mm-hmm. Never see anybody using those grills. Just yeah. never, ever. And I, I wonder if that's something that maybe was a big deal in the 70s or 60s when the parks were built. And then culturally, it's just kind of fallen away. People have their own grills at home. What what makes park what makes a park great is everyone gets together. Like you got to have a space that's desirable to be. And if it's if you have a better grill at home than you have at the park, then mm-hmm. you're going to stay at home. Yeah. So I think... Maybe a little more complicated than just getting better grills at the parks. Probably but. so. But that's something I hadn't thought about. Is like, does anybody use those grills? Yeah. Yeah. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Okay, so you're not going to come here for spring break. There's plenty of stuff to do, but it's not the Grand Canyon. Right. But by the time you get down to life and really, really living life, there's some intangibles that, that come with Amarillo that you don't truly experience until maybe you've lived here for... Not a bit of time, but like long enough to buy a home and yeah. live here and meet the neighbors. It has to grow on you. It has bit. to grow on you a little bit. But those intangibles are just the opportunity and everyone's just friendly. People say that all the time. It's really true. Everyone's okay. just more, way more likely to be friendlier here. And I, I think my neighborhood was at its best in the coronavirus pandemic, when, like at the initial lockdown, when everyone was at home. And you get a text from your neighbor said, hey, let's have a drink in my driveway. And you bring your lawn chair out and just talk to your neighbors in the driveway. And even you've got to get in the habit of doing that because it's easy to not just pull into your garage and come mm-hmm. in. But I think it's moments like that that make Amarillo great. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? I really enjoy Amarillo Boulevard. Okay. Just from the start, whole thing? To, the heart, start to finish through all the different 
iterations of, you know, a nicer to a little more grit, but just cruising Emerald Boulevard with your windows down and stopping for the taco trucks on mm-hmm. the boulevard and then keep going down a little bit more and hit the Asian markets. I love it. I like that because I, you know, one thing that, that I've heard before, uh, I think Mercy Mergia said this, is that people only care about the things that they see on their way to work. Mm-hmm. And so if you're driving the same route through the same neighborhoods every day, you get a certain perspective on the city that may be skewed. Yeah. Um, but if you make it a priority to drive all over the city, including the whole length of Amarillo Boulevard, where you're going to see a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that kind of keeps you a little bit better informed about what's happening here and what's available here. Who lives here? Please, in the diversity, like it's really easy to think that Amarillo is, lacks diversity when it's one street you can drive and you can see so much diversity. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite local restaurant? My answer in two parts. Okay. Pondicetta, when I feel like drinking my sandwich. And the Lupita's on Bell is where I go to stress eat. Okay. Lupita's on Bell. Um, the fact that there is a Lupita's on Bell is like something I really love because you used to just have to travel, yeah. you know, to Southeast Amarillo or mm-hmm. East Amarillo in order to find Lupita's. And now it's kind of expanded everywhere. So, Oh, it's so good. That's great. So good. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I knew you were going to ask me this question and don't make me answer. But I, I would say... Just going to no comment this No, one. Roasters for the coffee, Palace for the ambiance. Okay. They're both great places. Palace coffee, like, I just wish they would roast it a little bit longer. Like a, a dark roast, and they're firmly committed to the medium roast. I have heard that there is a dark roast coming oh, at Palace. That's a game changer. Which may indeed be a game changer. It could be. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And when was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? I took my kids to Texas. Recently? Uh, recently, this yeah. This summer? This summer. Okay. Well, it's one of the last showings of it. And forgot how awesome that show is. My kids loved it. And also left thinking that that's a way underutilized facility. I would The love, amphitheater itself? Yes. I, w- I would love to see live music there. Oh, man, that would be like, great. Just not country and western, too. Like, all kinds of music. Could be the Red Rocks of Amarillo. Yeah. When I was a kid... My church used to have a church service every year out at the canyon, which I always remember. We'd spend all day out there, but like having church there in the morning, like it was pretty cool. Like I have a lot of memories of that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how often that happens or if that was just something from the 80s, you know? I've I've never been to church out there. That'd be awesome. Okay. That concludes the eight straight questions. Richard, I'd like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one local thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I would like to endorse Amarillo's pickleball scene. All right. The I, vibrant pickleball the scene. The vibrant pickleball of scene. It's it's some of it's under the radar and it's neighborhood specific, but you'll never meet a finer group of folks. And even if you've never played hundred percent, they'll let you borrow a paddle and get in and play and teach you the rules. It's a lot of fun. And we have some really world class facilities for pickleball. And that's something that is relatively new. Like it's, yeah. I mean, pickleball itself is not new, but the facilities for it, maybe the growth of it locally is, you know, it's, it's something that's happened over the past few years. Yeah. And, and if you uh, used to play tennis and you haven't played in a while, maybe pickleball is a great place to start. And there are pickleball courts, official courts you can play at now. Yeah. Memorial Park is great, as is the Emerald National Tennis Center. Okay. Yeah. All right. Dig into that pickleball scene. Richard Walton, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jason. 
And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Richard for the interview. You can learn more about NCW at ncwriskmanagement.com. Thanks also to this week's sponsors, Wick Realty, Shim and Dental, and of course, Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamorello. Heyamorello's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, and Wilson Lemieux. This has been episode 217. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.